It might surprise you to know that in the Old Testament, the idea of justice is a central idea. I mean, you can't get far in the Old Testament coming without coming across the word justice. It's this Hebrew word, zedek. And justice in the Hebrew Bible is this idea of either restoration, meaning uh, justice is bringing people back together, or retribution, where you're getting back at somebody. And in today's message with our senior pastor, McGray DeVega, we're going to explore both sides of justice, right? That time when justice uh, makes the world a better place, and that time where because of our sinful nature or just because of bad decisions or uh, resentment that we have, justice becomes this thing that we actually turn against other people and we try and get back at people. And both of those things are true within us, but how do we uh, come to a fuller idea of justice and what it means to be just people working against the injustices in our world. So check it out. Let's pray. Oh God, open our eyes to empathy, curiosity, and humility, that we might be generous and compassionate toward others and ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. According to Hebrew tradition, the number of Israelites that escaped from Egypt were 600,000. Today, that population of 600,000 people would rank them among the top 30 largest cities in the United States. This massive group of people had just escaped slavery under Pharaoh, but they had not yet experienced true freedom in the promised land. They were wandering into an unknown future in a vast wilderness. But more importantly, they had to relearn what it meant to be a community, how to be a fully formed civil society together. Because for over 400 years, all they knew was what it meant to be enslaved, stripped of their identity. So God would use these 40 years in the wilderness to build within them a new character and remind them of what it means to be the people of God. And in this worship series on Christian character called Good and Faithful, we get to the central quality of ethical and moral formation that is as pivotal now as it was then in shaping the people of God today. In today's scripture reading, God tells the Israelites what that ingredient is. Quote, you must not distort justice. You must not show partiality. Justice, and only justice, you shall pursue so that you may live and occupy the land that the Lord your God is giving you. In his book, Introducing Christian Ethics, the book on which this series is partially based, Dr. David Gushy makes a strong statement about the centrality of justice in Jewish ethics. This is what he writes. Justice is the central norm in Jewish ethics. This is not because love is absent from the Hebrew Bible or the sacred writings that have followed in Jewish life. But it is true that in the law and the prophets, justice, rather than love, is more often centered as the central moral obligation. This certainly leads to the question, what does the Bible mean by justice? And why is it such a central part of Christian character? Because when we think of justice, many images may come to mind. We might think of justice as punishment, 
for criminal activity, right? That is a common and appropriate understanding of justice. You do the crime, you do the time. You bring people to justice. In biblical terms, that is called retributive justice. People pay for their crimes. Well, others may see justice as improving society, transforming the ills and inequalities of the world. We, we often hear this idea as social justice. This is less about punishing people and more about eliminating brokenness in our systems, our attitudes, and our cultures. In biblical terms, that is called restorative justice. Societies are restored to health. Now, both of these understandings, retribution and restoration, are part of the Bible's understanding of justice. But justice is still bigger than that. For these wandering Israelites, trying to figure out how to be a community of people, after living for generations under the oppression of slavery, they needed to understand that justice meant something more. For 400 years in Egypt, all these Israelites had known is that some people had all the power and people like them had none. All they knew was that the, the powerful used violence and oppression to maintain their authority, and they could not. And if left unchecked, that very mindset would have crept into their way of being a community in the wilderness. There would have been violent infighting among those Israelites to see which one of them would assume the new role as the one with the most power, stripping away the dignity of everyone else. And this is where the Hebrew concept of tzedek, or justice, would come in and become the most important aspect of the survival of the Israelite people. Hebrew justice meant two things. First, every person has the right to self-reliance. And second, every person is a full and equal part of the community. Every person is free to be who they've been created to be as individuals, and every person is free to be an equal member of the community. This concept of Hebrew justice would be repeated over and over and over again, not just here in the books of the law, but all throughout the words of the prophets. Justice would be invoked in the command to care for resident aliens, immigrants, orphans, widows. Justice would be invoked in the call for fair economic systems. And justice would be the very basis of their belief in God because God is just. And because God is just, God has inverted the power imbalances of the world and, and given people the freedom to live in dignity as individuals and the freedom to be in full community with others. I once heard Reverend George Johnson, the former director of the World Hunger Program for the Lutheran Church, say that Hebrew justice is the equivalent of Christian grace. For us Christians, grace is the key word. Grace is that gift from God that saves us from our sins and empowers us to live as God calls us to live and, and unites us in freedom and joy and responsibility with one another. For us Christians, without grace, we are not saved. That's, that's grace for Christians. And that is exactly how the ancient Hebrews 
understood justice. Not just not justice simply as crime and punishment, not just justice as transformation of, of social ills, but justice is what saves us from slavery to sin. Justice is what enables us to live as God intends for us to live. Justice is what forms us into a community of shalom, of peace and wholeness and equality. That's justice in the Hebrew world. In fact, George Johnson had us imagine a word swap in the most famous hymn of all. Amazing justice, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. T'was justice that taught my heart to fear. T'was justice my fears relieved. How precious did God's justice appear the hour I first believed. You and I are saved by the justice of God. Because that is true, then, then justice should be a central part of your character and your ethics and your moral formation. And it should dictate how you answer these two questions each and every day. Number one, how will I live a just life today? How will I live so that I'm no longer powerless against sin and living as God intends for me to live today? Second, how will I work toward a just society? How will I shape a world in which every person has a, a full and equal opportunity to belong and to thrive and, and to flourish? Those two questions were the subject of deep pondering and speculation by E.L. Doctorow, a famous American novelist who lived from 1931 to 2015. He wrote 12 novels and dozens of short stories, many of them exploring the notion of justice. In a country of such promise and possibility, it was also filled with such injustices. He said, quote, I find myself extremely sensitive to the idea of injustice. The idea that something is not fair really gives me energy in writing, he said. The idea of the imposition of people on each other, whether in their personal relationships or in large historical terms, seems to intrigue me. Well, that wrestling was clearly evident in the most famous book he ever wrote, considered by one editorial board as one of the 100 best novels of the 20th century. It was titled Ragtime. Now, maybe you've read Ragtime, or, or maybe you watched the musical adaptation of the novel at some point during its 25-year theatrical run. When it debuted in 1998, it gained the most Tony nominations of any musical that year and was locked in a fierce competition against the musical that would eventually win Best Musical, Lion King. And in March of this past year, the original cast of Ragtime reunited for an amazing concert in the Kennedy Center to celebrate its 25th anniversary. Ragtime is set in New York City in the 1920s. Two of the main characters in Ragtime are an African-American couple. The male is named Colehouse Walker. The woman is named Sarah. Colehouse and Sarah have a newborn infant. They're engaged to be married. Colehouse is a piano player by trade. He specializes in ragtime music, which he plays all throughout the musical. 
E.L. Doctorow saw ragtime music as a kind of metaphor for American society. The left hand plays a regular and accentuated bass line, rigid and fixed, much like the power structures of society. But the right hand plays lines that are spontaneous and joyful and uplifting and free. And what results is a conversation in ragtime music between the left hand and the right hand, between the injustices of the world as they are and the hope that justice can provide. Colehouse Walker has earned enough money from his piano playing to drive a nice car through town. It's a beautiful Ford Model T. One day, driving along the street, he's confronted by a group of white supremacists, and they insist that Colehouse pay them money in order to continue driving past their building. He refuses, and tensions flare, and when Colehouse walks away to seek help from local law enforcement, not only to hear the police give him no help, but he returns to see his car vandalized by those same white supremacists. A few scenes later, his fiancée Sarah finds out that a candidate for the American vice presidency is coming to New York City for a campaign stop. She decides to go to that rally to plead her case against the injustices that she and her fiancé and many other people are facing in their city. And as she's standing there at the campaign rally amid the crowds, some bystanders mistake her black skin tone of her hand for a gun. That misunderstanding prompts the, the Secret Service to descend on her, and they beat her to death as Act One draws to a close. As the curtain rises for the second act, we see a very different Colehouse Walker. He is stinging from the loss of her fiance, enraged at a society filled with such injustice and oppression. He seeks justice. For him, it is a retributive justice, one sought through vengeance and violence. So he gathers a small band of like-minded people and he begins a campaign of destruction all across the city. They burn down and demolish buildings. They kill livestock. They, they murder eight people in the process. And then in the final scene of the musical, they have taken over the residence of financier J.P. Morgan, holding him hostage until their demands have been met. And it is here in the musical that a famous figure from history enters the house to talk to Colehouse and show him a different way toward justice, not through revenge, not by violence, not by surrendering to the inequities of power and violence, but through the power of courage, the power of witness. It's the famous Booker T. Washington who tells Colehouse that the way of violence is not the legacy that he should leave for his newborn son or for generations to come. Instead, he tells Colehouse to find other ways to showcase the injustices to the world, to make known to people near and far that the indignities that he and others are suffering, to use the power of his voice to claim his own dignity and self-reliance and speak out for the equality of all people. Well, that speech from Booker T. Washington to Colehouse works. 
because Kohlhaas decided then and there to pursue no further violence. And before he leaves that building to meet his fate at the hands of the police, he turns to his band of associates and tells them to use the power of their voice, not the terror of their guns, to seek justice in the world. In other words, to make the world listen. And so it is here that Colehouse Walker sings the iconic song, Make Them Hear You. I invite you at some point to listen to a stirring rendition of that song by Brian Stokes Mitchell, the originator of the role of Colehouse Walker on Broadway. That link is available on our website, hydeparkumc.org forward slash good and faithful. Listen for these powerful lyrics. Your sword could be a sermon or the power of the pen. Teach every child to raise his voice and then, my brothers, then. Will justice be demanded by 10 million righteous men? Make them hear you. Let us pray together. Oh God, thank you that you are a God of justice. For in our powerlessness to sin, you raised us to new life and new strength and a capacity to choose what is right and good. Your justice has also created a new community in which we can open opportunity for all to flourish and live into their worth and dignity. Forgive us, Lord, for turning toward ways that only perpetuate injustice and violence against each other. Show us the better way, the way of restoration, that we may call out injustices and work together toward equality. Make them hear you, O God. May we be your mouthpieces. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you found this message helpful and it helped give you a broader idea of what justice can mean. Maybe there's some injustice in the world that you really feel connected to and maybe this message will help you figure out what you want to do about that injustice. We hope you'll share this message with a friend who might find it helpful. It's super easy to do. You can share the podcast or the YouTube link with them and they can find out more about our messages. Also, down in the notes below are some next steps that you can take. You can join a small group. You can find some reflection questions to go deeper with the message and you'll find some series resources like the song McGray mentioned, uh, David Gushy's book, and some other resources as well on our website. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. I'm Matt Hotho, and I'll see you next time.